All right. Good morning. Listen, Fellowship Asheville, welcome. Uh, no matter who you are or where you are, we really are a church for you. Now, today, you'll notice things look a little bit different. We are back up on the stage again uh, here at the building. We're testing out new cameras, so things might look a little bit different. The sound system, we're doing some different things with the sound. Uh, this is a work in progress, but um, isn't everything right now a work in progress? And so you might also hear some stuff that you haven't heard in a while because tonight, uh, when we're filming this for you on Sunday morning, um, this is our first in-person gathering. And so it means you might hear some laughter. Um, if they find what I say funny, you'll hear some laughter. It's not because we've installed a laugh track on this. It's because we've got people in the room, uh, which is great. Now, if this is your first time joining us uh, here at Fellowship Asheville, it is a great time for you to join us. And let me tell you why. We are starting a brand new series this, this week called Pause as, we, as we're working our way through the book of Ruth. Now, oftentimes, we feel like God hits pause on our life for different reasons, right? Like, like this whole season of, of COVID has felt like God hit pause on all of us. And in many ways, he did. This idea of God hitting pause is a very biblical idea. Joseph spent years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So God hit pause on his life. Moses spent 40 years in the desert uh, not by his own choice. And even the nation of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. And all of those, God hit pause. However, this isn't the focus of this series. The focus of this series, we're going to answer this question. What happens when I hit pause in my life? What happens when, when, when I hit pause? When I look at everything going on and, and I just stop maybe for a moment or maybe for a season, and I evaluate. I evaluate my life. I evaluate maybe something specific in my life, my job, my relationships, the world around me, what's going on inside of me, the, the thoughts and feelings that I'm having. This question, what happens when I hit pause in my life, is a question that we're going to see throughout the book of Ruth. Because this book of Ruth, even though it's only four chapters, is full of these little pauses that people are hitting. And today we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We're just going to cover the first five verses. And so if you have your Bible, feel free to open it up there or turn your Bible on. And I want to give you a little bit about what's happening around the book of Ruth because it's, it's, it's important to know where Ruth fits in the context of history. And as you're turning there, we're going to, we're going to talk, I'm going to lead you up to a time called Judges, right? Because if you open your Bible at the very beginning, you see the book of Genesis, and Genesis is the account of how history began, and it sets us up to understand that Abraham was the father of what we know as the nation of Israel. But what's interesting, when Genesis ends, it ends with one family moving to Egypt because God's providence was there. And so you follow along to get to this family led by Jacob who moves to Egypt. Now, when the next book opens, when Exodus opens, you see that that one family has turned into a large people group. They've turned into a nation. And the book of Exodus is about that nation leaving Egypt and coming back to their promised land. The next book is the book of Leviticus, because that nation needed to know how to have a relationship with the God who saved them, the God who led them out of Egypt. 
And that's what the book of Leviticus is. It gives them the guidebook on how to have a relationship with God. The book after that is Numbers. And Numbers is the book of them wandering that 40 years in the desert when God hit pause on, that, on their life. And in that 40 years of wandering, the older generation died and the new generation was what was left. And they needed to know how to have a relationship with God again. Hence the book Deuteronomy, which means second law. That's what that word means. And so it's how to have a relationship with God for a brand new generation. The next book is the book of Joshua. And Joshua is the person who led the nation of Israel from the wandering in the desert into the promised land. And the book of Joshua talks about how Israel uh, came to make the nation of the, the land of what we now know as Israel as their home. And then you have the book of Judges which is right before Ruth. And Judges is this fascinating book. If you haven't read the book of Judges, I highly recommend it because it is, it is some, 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 some great Old Testament history of the nation of Israel. And, and what Judges is, it describes a time where the nation was ruled by what was called Judges. And as you read it, you see this brand new nation of Israel in this new land trying to figure out who they are, and what it means to be a nation that follows God. And there's this phrase that keeps being repeated over and over and over again. And this phrase is, they did what was right in their own eyes. Now, you're going to hear me uh, say a word quite a few times today, which is a short version of that phrase. Think about it this way. They did what was right in their eyes, we call compromise right? They did what was right in their eyes. We call it compromise because compromise means to lower your standards. It means to lower your standards below acceptable standards. And y'all, this is a freebie. This is why I think marriages, um, you know, you've always heard when you're in conflict, you just need to compromise. I actually think that's bad advice because what that means is both of you lose. Both of you lower your standards below an acceptable standard and you both lose. Instead of compromise, you need to resolve the conflict. And we can talk about that in re-engage when that kicks off. But in this case, compromise means to lower your standards below God's standards. You see, the nation of Israel knew God's way to live. They had the law. They had Leviticus and they had Deuteronomy. And yet, they said, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what's right in my own eyes. Now, here's, the, here's what we see in the book of Judges. We see that God loves his people too much to let them continue to live that way. And the book of Judges has this, this cycle that happens. The nation of Israel says it says that they did what was right in their own eyes. And then, and then God wants to lead them from, from compromise to obedience. And he does that through oppression. When, when the nation is living in a way that they want to do what's right in their own eyes, God brings uh, all different kinds of oppression to them to lead them to repentance. Maybe it's famine or plague or even an enemy invasion. But God's heart is to move them from compromise to obedience through, uh, through repentance. Because with the nation's obedience and trust and following after God, there is blessing. So think about it this way. If you're a visual person, this is the cycle that you see in the book of Judges. You see they wanted to do what, what was right in their own eyes, and then there's oppression, and then there's repentance, and then there's blessing. Now here's why all this is important. Because Ruth takes place during one of those times of oppression. 
Ruth takes place during one of those times where the nation of Israel is compromising. Ruth takes place in one of those times where the entire nation, not just the leadership, but even the people in the nation are saying, I want to do what's right in my own eyes. With all that, let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Right? So that first verse sets us up. That's how we know that this is during the time of Judges. That's how we know it was during one of those times of oppression because there was famine in the land. Right Now, now here's what often happens when hard times hit like this, when, when oppression hits like this. When hard times hit, we hit pause. Right? That's just one of the things that happens. When hard times hit, we hit pause. It makes us evaluate what's going on in the world around us. It makes us evaluate what's going on inside of us. We, 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 we pause to evaluate. We evaluate our thinking and our feelings. We evaluate our relationships, our jobs, everything. When hard times hit, we hit pause. That's just what we do. Now let me ask you, have you used this time of COVID to hit pause in anything? Have you used this time of COVID to evaluate What's going on in your life? Well, here's what happens when we hit pause to evaluate. One of two things always happens. When you hit pause to evaluate, either you change nothing or you change something. That's always the two choices you have. You change nothing or you change something. Well, let's see what happens next. Do they change nothing during this hard time, or do they change something? Let's look at verse, the rest of verse 1. It says, And a man of Bethlehem in, Judea, in Judah went uh, to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of the, his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Shelion. They were, they were Aphrodites, from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. And so what did they do? Did they change nothing or did they change something? Well, they changed something. They changed where they live. They moved out of Israel to this place called Moab. Now, if you want to do something fun, if you want to do a little research, Google Moab biblical history and find out how Moab came to be a nation. Um, because the founder of Moab, his name is Moab in Genesis, is actually a relative um, of Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. And so Moab, was these, they were these distant relatives of the nation of Israel. However, if you look to see how Moab came about, you will discover why that family was never invited to the family reunion. Right? Because it's a pretty twisted history. At the time of this book, when it was written, Israel and Moab were even enemies. Right? They had been in war with each other. So why would this family in the land of Israel move to this place called Moab? Well, the honest answer is we don't know. But what we do know is that their homeland, the nation of Israel, was so bad that moving to a place like Moab seemed like a good choice. Now, what's interesting, even if you look at a, an archaeological view of Moab, it is a desert land. So, so there's no seemingly benefit 
to move there. Yet this family said, you know what? That seems like the best place for us to go. I mean, things were so bad in the nation of Israel. The names of their children mean puny and brokenhearted. That's what they named their kids. That's what Malon and Shelion mean in Hebrew. Now, here's the question for us. When hard times hit and we, we hit pause to evaluate what's going on, their pause to relocate. Here's the question. Was their change a change of compromise? Was their change doing what was right in their own eyes like the rest of the nation of Israel was doing at that time? We'll try and answer that question here in just a bit. But I want you to see what else happens to them when they're in Moab. Look at verse 3. It says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. All right, so they move from Israel to Moab uh, because Israel was so bad. And then they get to Moab and her husband dies and she's left with her two sons. But there is an upside. Look at verse 4. It says, these took Moabite wives. So her two sons took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. That's what the scripture says. Now, Orpah... Let me ask you, does her name look oddly familiar to you? Does it look like somebody maybe we've seen on TV for decades who now owns their own network? Does it remind you of Oprah? Well, here's the deal. I was watching an interview with Oprah, and believe it or not, she was named after Orpah, but it was spelled wrong on the birth certificate. That's how she became Oprah. That's a freebie. You're welcome. Right? But Orpah's name means the back of the neck. Now, here's what's interesting. This, this could be foreshadowing for what you're going to see next week when we go through the next few verses. Um, but it could also be this tender picture. Because here's what's interesting about names in the Old Testament and even names in ancient cultures and, and not so ancient cultures. Some, some cultures still practice this. But oftentimes, babies weren't named as soon as they were born like we do. Oftentimes, babies were named weeks, if not months, if not even in some cases years after they were born. And here's why. The mortality rate was so high that parents didn't want to develop too much of a bond with a child in case they didn't survive. And, and naming a child is, is this bond that's established. And so they would wait and they would name the child later. And like I said, this is a practice. When I was a missionary, I was working in Cameroon, and I was working in this village where they still practiced that. They didn't name children until they were three months old. Now, here's the advantage of that, though. It gave the parent time to know the child and to name them something that was unique to them, which is why uh, Naomi named her, her kids, her sons, puny and brokenhearted, because they were in Israel, and it was so bad at the time, their kids weren't thriving there. Their kids weren't surviving there. Now, Orpah's mom named her the back of the neck. I think this is actually a very tender name. Because if you've ever held a baby, and if you've ever been around a baby, there's something very special and tender about the back of their neck. We even have a picture of one of our kids of the back of their head just because we love the little back of their neck. I don't know why, but we just did. And so this name, back of the neck, could be a very tender name. Ruth has a very tender and sweet name as well because her name means pleasant. And so these guys, puny and brokenhearted, got to marry these pleasant, sweet, 
tender women. And so there's this upside for them. Now, parents, let me ask you this. If you could rename your kids right now with what you know about them, what would you name them? Right? Like, take some time over lunch and talk about that with your kids. What would you name them? That could be a lot of fun. These guys got to marry pleasant women. Now look at this. Just as things go up, though, they go right back down. In verse 5, it says, And both Malon and Shelion died, so that, the, so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. And so now, all the men in their lives have died. It leaves these women in a very precarious situation. In the nation of Israel, land was often passed through the men, so fathers to sons. Now, there are uh, examples in, in the Old Testament of land being passed to the women uh, because there are all no men, but the, because there are no men, but that was the exception, that wasn't the rule. And so these women were put in a very precarious situation without having uh, a man to, to pass the land on. And so once again, this family is hitting hard times, and they hit pause again. And we're going to stop right there. We're going to pick up next week with this verse. But, but let me ask you this. What do you think? What do you think? Did our family here hit pause to evaluate and relocate? Was that compromise, that decision to relocate? Was that, a, was that compromise? Was that them doing what was right in their own eyes? You see, God had promised this land of Israel to the nation of Israel, and they were there, but, but there, God had also removed his blessing from the nation of Israel. And, and in an Old Testament viewpoint, God's blessing meant God's presence. And so for me, like I understand if they made the decision, God's blessing isn't here, maybe it's somewhere else, let's go and find it. And they packed up and left. We don't know if their decision was compromised or not. But I don't know if we need to worry about that so much. I think we need to ask ourselves that question. Because I think that's the question. The question is a much more personal one. The question is this. Have you ever hit pause to evaluate what's going on in your life? And have you changed something only to realize that that change was a compromise. To realize that that change was you doing what was right in your own eyes instead of doing what was right in the Lord's. Have you ever done what this nation and, and perhaps this family did by doing what was right in your own eyes? Well, If you're not sure, let me give you some ways to know if the change that you're making, if the change that you're thinking about making is compromise or if it's obedience, if it's a change of compromise or if it's a change of obedience, if it's doing what's right in your own eyes or if it's doing what's right in God's eyes. Now, I've said this before, that obedience is often simple but seldom easy. Right? Obedience is often simple, but seldom easy. When, when, when my kids were smaller, we had this phrase that we would repeat. When we'd tell them to do something, and there was this pause, we'd say, now remember, obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And one of my kids looked at me and said, right away and all the way, I get it's the happy heart that's hard. Right? Obedience takes work. 
What God's asked us to do is often very clear. Take, for example, the command to love your neighbor. That's a very clear command. And obedience is often very simple. But depending on who your neighbor is, loving them can be really hard. Here's what compromise does. Compromise is an easy answer to a complicated situation. Right? Compromise is an easy answer to a complicated situation. Y'all, there are times where hitting the easy button is good, right? Because it's an easy problem, easy solution, so you hit the easy button. But what compromise does is it tries to, hit the, it tries to find the easy way out to hit the easy button when it's actually a complicated problem with a complicated solution. The right solution is to do the work. Now, when I was a kid, I remember in one particular math class, this is the first time this happened, and it happened multiple times after that, but the first time it happened, I remember getting this math book, and the teacher said, okay, I want everybody to turn to the back of the book. And so we did, and y'all, the answers were in the back of the book, of this math book. My mind was blown. My jaw hit the floor. And I remember raising my hand saying, why did they put the answers back here? He said, well, that's so that you'll know that you're, you're doing the work right. That means you know you solved the problem correctly. Well, let me tell you what Fred did. The first assignment that came in, I took out a piece of paper and turned to the back of the book and wrote the answers down and turned it in, expecting a flat 100 to come back. Here's what came back instead. I got a big F on my paper with one comment. And the comment was, show your work, right? Here's what compromise doesn't want to do. Compromise doesn't want to show the work. Compromise doesn't want to do the work. Let me show you what else compromise does. Compromise happens when wise counsel isn't consulted. Right? Compromise happens when wise counsel isn't consulted. I bet each and every one of you has at least one person in your life who has walked with Jesus longer than you have. You have one person at least in your life who has more spiritual maturity than you do. Compromise doesn't talk to them when thinking about making a change. In my life, I've got a group of elders who help lead and guide this church. I've got mentors that I listen to, and I've got a wife who gives me very wise counsel. Real example, All right? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote the financial update. Every month, I send a financial update. If you're a member at Fellowship, you get it, or if you give to Fellowship, you get this monthly financial update. And I made a mistake. I wrote this financial update on a Monday. Now, I know better than to do this. Mondays are kind of the, the, the toughest days of the week for me because we've just finished Sunday. It's been a long day. It's been a day full of adrenaline, and, 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 and then there's kind of this adrenaline fatigue on Monday. Some pastors call it the holy hangover, and it's just, it's just, it's just a harder day. And so I wrote the financial update, and I gave it to her. I said, hey, babe, could you, could you give me some edits on this? Let me know your thoughts. I thought it was fairly good, particularly for a Monday. And so she gave me some edits and gave me some thoughts. But as she gave it to me, she said, don't send this. She said, it's, it's not you. It's not pastoral. It's not encouraging. Don't send it. So you know what I did? I didn't send it. On Wednesday, I rewrote the entire thing because she was right. Compromise 
doesn't listen to wise counsel. Obedience does. Can I tell you one more thing that compromise does? You know, this is the, this is the scary part of compromise. Compromise kind of goes against God's word. Now, here's why I have kind of in quotation marks. Because, see, if it's clear in God's word not to do something and you do it, that's called rebellion. Compromise is this much slipperier slope than that. You see, even, even this family, uh, Naomi and, and Elimelech, when they moved to, to Moab and, and, and their children married Moabite women, I don't know if they knew the law backwards and forwards or not. I have the advantage of a concordance that, that directs me to different parts of, the, of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but there is a specific verse that says Israelites can't marry Moabite men. Again, that's because of land being passed down and, and all of this stuff. It doesn't say anything about Moabite women. Now, maybe they didn't know this, maybe they did, but but maybe their kids marrying, their sons marrying Moabite women, it didn't go against God's word, but maybe it kind of went against God's word. Here, here's a real-time example. And y'all, I have heard somebody say this, and it's ridiculous, right? Because, because in, in the New Testament, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, right? I literally had somebody look me in the eyes and say, it doesn't say don't get drunk on whiskey, so I'm good, Right? That's compromise. Y'all, seriously, that's compromise. And so let me ask you, are you hitting pause to evaluate something in your life today? What is it? Are you looking to change? Is that change a change of obedience or is it a change of compromise? Are you evaluating the world around you? Because listen, there is a lot of information that we're getting every day that make us evaluate the world around us. Is your reaction to that a reaction like Jesus would do or a reaction of compromise like the world would do? Are you hitting pause about relationships in your life to evaluate them, about your job? You see, if so, this change that you're thinking about could be a change of obedience or change of compromise. Does it go against these guidelines? Have you sought wise counsel? Is it, is it something that is clearly against God's word or maybe kind of goes against God's word? You see, does it go against these guidelines? Are you doing what is right in your own eyes or are you doing what is right in God's eyes? Let me give you some encouragement and we're almost done. The encouragement is this. God's way really is the best way. Right? That's what we're going to see in Ruth. That's what we're going to see if you step back from Ruth and look at Judges, what God is trying to teach the nation of Israel and to teach us in this time period that we see in our scriptures is that we can trust him. His way really is the best way to live, and it is not the easiest way to live. I mean, Jesus' death was God's way to provide salvation for you and for me. It was God's way to fix the problem of sin. It wasn't easy, but it was simple. It actually required a whole lot of work on Jesus' part. 
And it wasn't a quick decision. It was planned for all eternity. Jesus, is, th- th- Jesus being the way was the way that God always had planned. And because of him, you and I have this good and right and personal relationship with the God who loves us and the God who created us. Now, y'all, this is good news. And if you haven't said yes to this Jesus, yes to this, this kind of relationship with God where he knows you personally and loves you, and, and, and uh, if you haven't said yes to that Jesus, then let today be the day that you do that. Place your life in the hands of this Jesus who has done all the work for you. Now, many of you listening and watching have already done this. You've already said yes to Jesus. And I have one more encouragement for you. Even with this good and right and personal relationship with God, we find ourselves in places where compromise seems better than obedience. We find ourselves in places where doing what's right in our own eyes seems better than doing what's right in God's eyes. Can I tell you what to do in these moments where doing what's right in your own eyes seems better than doing what's right in God's eyes? Let's do what King David said to do in Psalm 103. Psalm 103 says this, Psalm 103 verse 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, this is what I want you to focus in on, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Y'all, our relationship with God has benefits to it that is found in no other place. So here's what I want you to do in those moments where, where, where you're tempted to compromise. I want you to spend some time this week, maybe even right now, maybe this afternoon, and I want you to open up your Bible to Psalm 103, and I want you to read it to see the benefits of, the relationship, of a relationship with our God. Right? Maybe even make your own list of the benefits that a relationship with God gives you. Because, I mean, y'all, in the first few verses of Psalm 103, you see that God forgives, he heals, he redeems, he satisfies. That he's full of mercy uh, and grace and that he's slow to anger and abounding in love. And I could go on and on and on, but church, let's let those benefits of our relationship with God lead us to changes of obedience and not compromise. Because here's what happens when we do that. Here's what happens when we, when we choose to trust and to follow God instead of doing what is right in our own eyes instead of compromise. What happens is the world around us gets to see a people who aren't marked by compromise, who aren't marked by hypocrisy, but instead They're known as a people of Jesus. Now, let me tell you, our world today needs to see the people of Jesus being like Jesus. Let's be those people. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are worthy and you are trustworthy. And we will follow you. Clearly lead our steps Give us discernment when we need it. Give us wisdom when we need it. And Father, may we walk with you. And for those who are listening, who as I talked about compromise, you brought something to their mind. May they lay that down right now and pick up obedience to you instead. May they choose to to be a people that follow you. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.